So here on Radio Veritas on the Jesuit Institute Hour, we've just been listening to John Michael Talbot singing Come Holy Spirit. And now we're going to move over Pamela Moringa, who's going to be chatting to Ray White. Good morning, Ray, and welcome to the Jesuit Hour. Hi, Pamela. Great to be with you this morning. Thank you. Um, Ray, I understand that um, over the weekend uh, there was a closed meeting where the President Zuma survived his second vote to knock confidence by the ANC's NEC. Please uh, give us your opinion on what do you think, what, what happened there? Well, Pamela, it's very interesting because the ANC have got themselves in a corner. And it all comes down to about a year or so ago, the public protectors reports on state capture, her state of capture report. Mm-hmm. And these allegations have been climbing and climbing and climbing. And this has led to factualism within the governing party, the ANC. Mm-hmm. There are many people who want President Jacob Zuma out, including the Kauteng leadership. They want him to go. People mm-hmm. are not happy because what they're saying is that there's no service delivery and basically, it comes down to the fact that money is being taken. Now, when you talk about state of capture, we're talking about the Gupta family. This is a, um, a few brothers who came out from India about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. They settled in this country. They built up Sahara computers. And they've got their, literally got their tentacles into all sorts of sphere of government. And what happened at the weekend at the NEC, this is the second time this has happened. All these people who were not happy with President Jacob Zuma stood up and said, it's time to go, you need to go, you're damaging the party. And we've also seen calls from Kasatu, we've seen calls from the SACP saying we must go now, but he's not going. And uh, he survived that, that motion of no confidence. Mm. And I also understand that from the meeting, the NEC agreed to a judicial inquiry. They agreed that it's needed uh, in the state in the state capture, uh, do you think this could be another delaying tactic? I don't know if it's a delaying tactic. That is welcomed. All I can think is that President Jacob Zuma is painting himself into a corner. And can the reason why I say that he's facing seven hundred and eighty odd charges in connection with the arms deal? So they want him to go because they're saying there's corruption there. So that's the one thing. Then it comes into a judicial inquiry. If that happens, and it should happen, and if it happens, then if the right judge appoints it, and I, I can honestly say that our judiciary is independent of the ANC, very independent. If that does happen, then President Jacob Zuma will be facing maybe charges there as well. So when I say painting himself into a corner, he may survive today. He may survive until the end of 2019 or the 2019 elections. Mm. But thereafter... He's going to be facing charges. And the big problem comes, if I was him, I'd cut a deal right now to say, all right, I'll step down, and then I want immunity from prosecution. Mm. Uh, um, do you think that uh, in the government, and especially the opposition parties, are using the court appropriately? That's a very good question. Um, and the reason why I say that is because the opposition parties have been accused of using the judiciary, using the courts to fight their battles. But that's the only recourse that they have. And, I mean, coming up, what they want is a motion of no confidence, a vote in Parliament, motion of no confidence. And they want it to be a secret ballot. And the reason why, Mm. they believe that there are so many different AMC MPs who actually want to out. And they say if there's going to be the secret ballot, then that's great. 
then people can vote for him to be out, and there'll be no retribution afterwards if it's unsuccessful. So that may be going to happen. And I say a big maybe, the constitutional court now has to decide on this. But apart from that, that's the only recourse that the, that the opposition parties have. But let's be honest about this. If the law has been broken, and if it is, then shouldn't somebody be going to the courts anyway? And shouldn't they be trying these things? I mean, this morning, there was a, there's a very big story on Eyewitness News. It's by an investigative agency called Amabungani. Now, Amabungani, mm-hmm. what they do is they, they investigate and they look into things like the Gupta family. They've now found that the friends of President Jacob Zuma have benefited from the Transnet deal and the Prasa deal. Mm-hmm. For every locomotive that is bought for 50 million rand, the Gupta family scores 10 million rand. So it's stories like this that are just making people very, very angry. And of course, the Democratic Alliance and the EFF, they are now taking this back to court. Mm. So how broadly do you think that the state, the, the, state, the, the state capture has affected South Africa? Oh, it's on a, on a massive scale. If you can see what's happened and the different corporations, the Paris staples that have been involved, we're looking at ESCOM. So say, for instance, with ESCOM, there's been so much infighting in ESCOM. And again, the Gupta family getting their tentacles into that as well. There was a cold contract with Tigeta that was allegedly, and I say allegedly, there's going to be this commission of inquiry, hopefully, manipulated in favor of the Gupta family so that they could buy the optimum coal mine. There has been the SADC, whereas there's been infighting and there's been cloudy what's winning, was reported to, apparently report to, to President Jacob Zuma. There's mm-hmm. been transit, like I said. So all these different parastatals, in fact, Pras is another one, the passenger rail agency of SA, they're another one. And it's all linked into that as well. So basically, there has been no service delivery. There's been no benefit for our country. And people are getting angry. I mean, last night, again, there was another service delivery protest. It was absolutely awful. And the people were, were protesting. Somebody ran the, slammed their, their car into a pole trying to get away from it. A woman and a child were hurt. These are people who are angry because government is doing nothing about housing, nothing about the provision of anything. And it's because of that that our countries are working at the moment, and that's why people are so unhappy. Mm. And how do you think we can recover for that? Well, it's going to take decades to recover from that, because basically what we need now maybe is a governing party uh, where yet a DA coalition, which could really very easily happen in 2019, or the ANC could write it, they're under fire at the moment, but whoever takes over, it's going to take a long time to A, get rid of all this corruption, and B, get services working again. Take the SABC, for instance. They are running at a huge deficit. Last year, Claudia Martinning admitted that they had 800 million rand in cash reserves left. Now, that sounds a lot, but that's gonna, that'll be like eight months' worth of, of salaries. And to be honest with you, I think it was last month, there was a whole outcry from the SABC from people saying, we just don't, we, we're actually not sure whether we are going to be paying those, those, those salaries. So the SABC is going to be... And then it comes down to the basic provision of housing and making sure that houses are provided. So it's very important. And this is going to take decades because you can see that our economy has been damaged. Mm, I also saw that from the meeting that took place uh, last weekend, there were also uh, shared emails that were shared. And um, uh, from those emails, we... uh, seen that there might be, okay, let me just say maybe rumors of uh, President Zuma 
uh, relocating to Dubai with his family. Do you think that uh, considering the state where the, in which the country is at economically, is that fair? Where, is, where does that leave us as a country? Well, that's very interesting, Pamela. And the reason why I say that, because these emails have now emerged from the groups of companies where people are not happy whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So whether President Jacob Zuma is debating on going to Dubai to live after he retires or not, well, that remains to be seen. He has already said, no, this is absolute nonsense because I'll be going to Nkandla. But will he really be? Because if he's facing all these charges, maybe he wants to relocate, maybe he needs to get out of the country. But just looking at our country, even if those emails are not true, he stayed, he stayed on to 2019. Our local economy is under huge pressure at the moment. Mm. We've just been downgraded by two ratings agencies. A third is on its way. I think it's going to happen. This means you've got to junk status. This means the rest of the world sees us as a junk, uh, a, 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 a junk country. So basically what that means, if you look at it closely, if people want to do business with us, they can be very circumspect. If we want to borrow money from those people, those countries, mm. they're going to say, right, South Africa, no problem. We'll give you $100 million at 40% interest because you're on junk status. And it's because of that that we're not going to be able to borrow money and we're going to go down and down. And why are we borrowing money? We look at social grants, which are very important. These social grants are paid out to, I think, 16 million beneficiaries every single month. Sometimes we need to borrow money for that. So our country will just be paying more and more and more, and we're just going to be getting into a deficit more and more. So we had to write this whole thing. But if people look, and the ratings agencies have said this, we're looking at your leadership. We're looking at what's happening. We're looking at the infighting. And quite frankly, we don't all see. Mm. Thank you so much, Ray, for talking to us. This has been very interesting. It's been an absolute pleasure anytime. Mm, and we look, uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you again soon. Ah, sounds good. Thanks, Pamela. Thank you. That was Ray White from 702 uh, giving us an insight about uh, the state, the state capture, the president, and possibly the, the, the future of the country. So now we'll be, mo- we'll be moving forward to another piece of music by um, Margaret Ritha. So we were just listening to Margaret Ritza singing about the Holy Spirit. And of course, we're now moving really towards Pentecost. And I just want you to just reflect for a moment on the state of the disciples. If we think about the, the disciples who, who were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and we were, we were told that they were, they were afraid, they were, they were fearful, they were uncomfortable, they felt like they could do nothing. They felt a sense of powerlessness. And perhaps some of us feel a bit like that ourselves now. You know, Father Rampe earlier today talking about us feeling a sense of being, of being fearful, of being cowardly, of not knowing how to speak out, how to be prophetic. Really, that is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that she inspires us to be prophetic. If you remember in the Creed, we talk about how it is the Holy Spirit speaking through the prophets there's that real sense of the Holy Spirit who, who gives us the ability to be prophetic. And so as we come to celebrate Pentecost, as we come to celebrate this feast, remember the gift of the giving of the Holy Spirit, I'd really invite you to, to think about that sense of the Holy Spirit as prophetic, that sense of the Holy Spirit as the one who, who inspires us, who gives us courage. 
who also gives us the courage and the ability to reach across divisions. One of the uh, one of the things that's always kind of touched my heart about the Feast of Pentecost, about the the reading, is if you go through that reading when you when you're listening on church on on Sunday, it's going to be the first reading, and you hear that lovely line. Uh, they talk about all the people who were in Jerusalem. They're Parthians, Medes, Elamites, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya near Cyrene, as well as Cretans and Arabs. And what's going on here is really the scripture writers are giving us a sense of at that time, all of the known world. There were people from the most far-flung bits of what they knew the world to be at that time were in Jerusalem. So it was a real mixture of people, of languages, of culture, great difference, a real melting pot moment. In some ways, exactly like those of us who live in Johannesburg might experience our own city, that you, you, know, you can be talking to an Ethiopian one minute and a Norwegian the next, and the next thing someone from Sri Lanka. It's very easy. I find this when I drop children off at school. I'm meeting people from all over the world. And, and there is the sense that we, we also live in this kind of context. And what happens to the disciples? They're going out. And there's this lovely line that the Spirit gifts them so that they can speak. And each one hears them in their native tongue. Now, I know this is a miraculous moment, but I think there's an invitation for us. And that invitation is that when we speak to others who are different to us, who come from somewhere else in the world, whose culture, whose language, whose tradition, whose faith background is different, it is the gift of the Holy Spirit that allows us to meet that person where they are, to put aside whatever it is we may think about where they come from, um, our prejudices, our blindnesses, our unknowing, and to engage with them in a stance of open curiosity, in a stance of generous curiosity. St. Ignatius has this lovely line for how he thinks Christians should engage with each other and with the world. He says... It is the part of every good Christian to listen to the other person and to put the very best interpretation they can think of on what the other one is saying. That is what it is to, to listen, if you like, with the Holy Spirit, to listen to the other with real generosity, trying to hear what is the best I can hear in what they are saying. And this is quite countercultural. We are taught to listen with suspicion. We're taught a hermeneutic of suspicion at school. We're taught it at university. We're taught it in our families. It's a kind of defense mechanism. We should listen with suspicion. We shouldn't get caught. We shouldn't get trapped. We shouldn't get conned. Ignatius says the opposite is true. We must listen with generosity. We must listen with a positive attitude. We must listen, listening for what is the very best interpretation I can get. And if I can't work it out, I should ask for clarity so that I can better understand the good that the other is trying to say. And I think some of that is what was going on in this gift of the Holy Spirit to the disciples, that they were given courage, they were given strength, they were given the ability to speak in the language of the person that they were talking to, but they were also given the openness and the generosity to really touch the life of that person. And so those people, because they heard them speaking with generosity, their hearts were open. And that is true for us today. So it's 
As we come to the end of today's program, I thought it might be nice just to take a moment or two of contemplating this passage of Scripture prayerfully. So if you are somewhere where you can sit with your eyes closed, you may like to close your eyes. And if you are somewhere where you're driving or whatever and you can't close your eyes, well then keep your eyes open, but really just to, let's begin with an attitude of contemplation. And just let the music lead you into silence. being like the disciples. Imagine sitting in a room, perhaps in your own house. Imagine all the things that hold you trapped, the fears, the concerns, the anxieties. Just have them in mind just as the disciples were trapped by their fear, so too we often are trapped by our own fear. And into that fear, imagine the Holy Spirit coming, like a tongue of fire, or like a gentle breeze. And imagine that tongue of fire, that breeze, taking away, burning up, blowing away each of those fears, those anxieties, those concerns. God's taking them to God's own self. And then, as you breathe in and out, just imagine breathing in deeply, feeling the Spirit of God breathing into you, courage, stillness, compassion, generosity, kindness. like the early disciples, just as you breathe in the stillness, in the silence, imagine your whole being being filled up with the love of God. That openness to God that puts all your fears, all your concerns at a distance and gives you space to live, to breathe, to be. And then, just for a moment, I want you to think of one situation in your life where you can act with generosity and love. Where you can really give the gift of yourself in Christ to another. It may be a situation in your family 
It may be a situation at work. It may be a friend. It may be someone who is a beggar on the street who you pass every day. But in your imagination to just imagine reaching out to that person and in your action, in your speech, in what you say and do and think, offering them too this great gift of the Spirit of God in some concrete way that will touch their heart.